On the last weekend in October, it's our tradition to acknowledge um, Reformation Sunday. So we typically have a conference, as we're having this year, on the last Saturday, because it's Reformation Weekend. This year is a little bit unique because we're celebrating the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And so uh, every conference practically on planet Earth, unless it's Roman Catholic, is about the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. Ref 500, hashtag. Um, it's the thing to do. Um, so we like to do it every year. Uh, so next year it'll be 501. It'll be awesome. Uh, anyway. But that brings up a provocative question that people like to ask in books, uh, in lectures, on the internet, and that is, is the Reformation over? Is the Reformation over? Well, in one sense, obviously the answer is yes. It's a 500-year anniversary. But the idea is, in asking the question, is it significant anymore? Have the conflicts been settled? Or perhaps, was it unnecessary to begin with? Is the Reformation over? Some people say yes in their books. And some people say no. I side with the latter. I don't think the Reformation is over and its significance. I don't think it's over because to this day on the books, officially, the Roman Catholic Church condemns, anathematizes everyone who says that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Not to mention assurance of salvation. Condemned. So I don't think the Reformation's over. I don't think the Reformation's over, not just when it comes to Protestants and Catholics. I don't think the Reformation's over when it comes to the fact that evangelicals, just this week as a matter of fact, a well-known evangelical said that salvation is not by grace alone. I don't think these issues should be done and over with if we have people that we would otherwise like and admire saying salvation is not by grace alone. That's a pretty an amazing thing. And the implications are huge. My friends, the gospel will always be the issue. How can we be right with God? How can we have assurance of salvation? How can we know that we have eternal life? What did Jesus actually accomplish and what didn't he accomplish? And until he comes back, it will always be the issue. It always will be. And I, and I like to think that perhaps by God's grace, hopefully with humility, that it won't be compromised at least on our watch. That we would be able to stand and say, salvation, like Jonah says, is of the Lord. It's all of Him. So we can actually have assurance of salvation. And you know, we get into things like, well, that's theological, not practical. I don't know what world you're living in. I have to do a lot of practical things in life, and you do too. But when it really comes down to it, what I really need more than anything when I put my head on the pillow or when I can't is to know that I've been accepted by God. Fully and completely. And there's nothing I would rather have you know than that. That it's possible to know. That it's important to know. Because of what God has done. In Christ on our behalf. 
So the Protestant reformers, they didn't invent this, but in their wake, coming after them, uh, one of the unifying things that came out of the Protestant Reformation was the fact that, they, that believers who would come after would believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And how do we know this? Because the Scripture alone is the ultimate authority by which all tradition must be evaluated. The solas, the alones of the Protestant Reformation. This morning what I would like to do to offer a primer, some of you like to say primer, maybe you're British, I don't know, um, an introduction, a taste, uh, a preview. Step one would be to look at Ephesians chapter 2 and we'll, we'll see in Ephesians 2, we might have to drift into one a little bit, um, we'll, we'll see at least most of these solas and see that these are important. So if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn to, to Ephesians if you're new to the Bible, you can look at the table of contents or pull it up on your phone, perhaps. And yes, I realize this means we won't be in John 17. Sorry. But today is the day to, to try to uh, introduce these matters and to see how important they are and how significant they are in light of our conference coming up in a few weeks. And to be quite honest, my head is still reeling from John 17. I walked out of the service last Sunday and I just felt like I wanted to die. But kind of in a good way. It's like John 17 and this amazing prayer from Jesus and here's how Jesus speaks to the Father about His work being accomplished and being done. And it was a sermon I didn't want to preach because who in the world wants to preach about it? They just want to talk about it. It was devastating. I just walked out there and thought, I'm, I'm ready to go to heaven and die. In a good way. So we'll get back to John 17, I promise. It was a good experience. But today, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're just simply going to work our way through it, and we're going to work our way through it, and we're going to be able to see grace, faith, Christ, glory of God, all for Him and Him alone. And I hope this will induce worship, confidence, assurance, and for you to see the Reformation is not over. How about chapter 2? 2 verses 1 to 3 to begin with. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Trespass, violation of law, right? When you trespass, you go where you're not supposed to go. And sins. First John says sin is lawlessness. So he's talking to Christians, but he says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So we were doing things, but we were spiritually dead because we were walking, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, who everyone thinks is Satan, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, that's us. How about verse 3? Among whom we all, so not just the bad people like Stalin, we all, he's talking to Christians, once lived in the passions of our, our flesh. We just, we just did whatever we thought felt good and felt right regardless of what God said, passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. How about this? And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The weird thing is, Christians like to hear that. You're weird if you like to hear that. But it might be a good sign if you like to hear that. Because Christians don't like to live in the world of the past, but we like to realize that's where I came from. And if I can understand that, 
that it wasn't those bad people out there, but it's us bad people in here, we can understand the significance of what Christ did for us in saving us. So we kind of like to learn about this stuff. It's dark. It's bad. I was with a friend one time and he, he was... Well, it's going to be a bike illustration. Sorry, I just have to go there. But one of my teammates and I, we were riding by the church, finishing a ride. Maybe I've told you the story before. I'm not sure. And he said, he told me about some woman that cut him off one time and then they pulled into Omaha Bible Church. If you're that person, I'd like you to come for... No, I'm kidding. (laughs) And he described the car and all this stuff. And I I said, you know, a lot of people go to the church and are members. I, I, I don't know what people drive, you know. Save your breath. And he said, you know, I told her, I, st- I went and followed her, and I told her, Jesus wouldn't want you to do that. This is one of my unbelieving teammates, so it's classic. But he said, if you did know who it was, would you go talk to him? I said, I don't think so. And as we talked more and more, I had to say, hey, Brian, that's his name. I said, hey, I said, that church isn't for good people. That church is for people who know they're bad people and they need a Savior in Jesus so that they can have forgiveness. That's actually what Christianity is about. Then I think we talked about the kind of tires we're using or something. (laughs) Subject changed. But Christians realize that we're not saying, look at us, we're Christians, we're awesome. Actually, Dead in trespasses and sins by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest of mankind. We're just like everybody else. But we are saying everybody's messed up. We are saying everyone is a sinner. Everyone has violated, trespassed God's commandments. None of us have loved God with heart, soul, and mind, and strength. None of us have loved neighbor as ourselves. No one, no, not one, Paul says in Romans. So we've got to start there. And by the way, this is how we're going to be on to salvation being by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, because we're by nature children of wrath. We don't have a glimmer of good. We don't have, we're not part good, part bad. We don't do bad because of our surroundings. By nature, children of wrath. And we've got to, we've got to deal with that first or the rest won't make sense. And by the time the Protestant Reformation comes along, you know, we, we have Roman Catholicism, and I'm just stating facts. I'm not trying to beat up on a particular religion because I'm a sinner like everybody else is. But now they're, they're saying people are good and people are bad. And so it makes sense that salvation is my grace alone, through faith alone, because they'd lost sight of what we call depravity. Okay? Which is kind of ironic because one of the champions in church history beyond the Apostle Paul and beyond Jesus and beyond the writers of Scripture, one of the champions for the reality of depravity, the human condition, by nature children of wrath, one who wrote some of the most provocative and significant things about it, Saint Augustine, or if you prefer, Augustine, in the 400s. And Rome claims him as a saint. To give you a little bit of history, this is one of the reasons why John Calvin, one of the Protestant reformers, quotes Augustine 
again and 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 again, in a sense saying, look, he's your guy. This isn't anything new. But see, when you grasp and understand that, that we're not good, this is hard in our culture because the preacher who's got the million-dollar smile is telling everyone they're wonderful and great and, and God's response to them is because of what's in their hearts and they're so good. And so when we hear this kind of stuff, we think, what? But that's why we don't understand the cross. And that's why we don't understand the gospel. And that's why we say maybe the Reformation isn't that important because what's the big deal with the word alone? I so want everyone to understand how bad they are before God. Because it's really the key to understanding grace like the rest of mankind. Think about it, you know. Are, are you a good person? Even the way we talk, oh, he is, they're such a good person. I'm just glad, they, glad to know they're a good person. Well, in one sense, you know, I, I say about friends, you know, he's a super, super good guy. But I certainly mean lowercase g. I don't mean good before the eyes of God. And you shouldn't either children of wrath, even like the rest of mankind. Should we keep talking about depravity? Are you enjoying it? Um, Romans chapter 5 says we're God's enemies before we're believers. It's not very inspiring, but we're going to get there. As one old preacher would say who believed these things, as an unbeliever, you would kill God if you could. By nature, children of wrath? Hmm. I wish I could say it like he did, though. His name was John Gerstner. I think he probably smoked about 20 packs of cigarettes a day. And he would say, you would kill God if you could. Ah, pretty good, huh? Maybe not so good. Maybe it'd be better coming from a sweet little old lady. But I've heard this most profoundly, perhaps, for the first time in my young Christian life from a sweet little old lady who kindly took me aside after a Bible study and said, I have a verse to show you, Pastor. Maybe I wasn't a pastor then. Thankfully, I wasn't a pastor then. She was just very kind and she said, I just want, I just want to show you something. Because I use some kind of Christian ease kind of slogan that sounds good and everybody knows and I'm not going to say it now, but, and it was completely wrong. And I'm just thankful that she did that. I'll never forget. So if you respond well to little old ladies, I can't do that voice. But if you respond to the 20 packs a day scariness, it's yours. You can have it. By nature, children of wrath. Okay, let's move on to, to, to verse 4. Then it says, but God. But God. Notice who acts. It's not us. But God. God's the acting one. But God! 
But God being rich in mercy, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Notice who's, who's going to get all the credit for all of this, which brings us, by the way, a preview to the glory of God alone because we're dead in trespasses and sins. God acts. God who is rich in mercy with the great love with which He loved us. He's the great one. He's the admirable one. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. So he wasn't waiting for the glimmer of, uh, uh, of something in our eyes or, or he wasn't waiting for that hand to be raised or whatever it might be. Initiating one. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he, ah. And I'm inserting the he because I learned this in a different translation. Sorry. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That right there is just like mind-shocking. But God, He, rich in mercy, great love, made us alive. I mean, think about it. Spiritually dead, right? God makes us alive. What a great partnership. No, right? It's not what a great partnership. This is why in, in, in theological conversations, and if you're into that, this is for you. If you're not, it's okay. You don't need to know it. This is why we say salvation is monergistic, mono, one-way working. God makes us alive. He's the one working. This is why we, the Protestant Reformation is still relevant because in the other system, it's still synergistic. And synergy is good in your, you know, accounting or, or in your marketing department or on the job or working together or whatever it might be, but it's not how salvation works. It's not us and our goodness and God and His love and, and we work together. But we, doesn't say that. But God, but God who is rich in mercy, God makes us alive. It's all Him. It's all Him. It's humbling, right? He makes us alive together with Him. And notice what, what, how, he defi- how He explains this then. The translation I'm reading from it then has a dash to carry out the idea. By grace you have been saved. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? That, that, that's how grace is explained. Grace is God doing something for spiritually dead people. We're, we're, we're having something done to us, something done for us that we don't do. He makes us alive. For by grace you have been saved. Ha ha! Now we understand grace better. What is grace, by the way? Based upon what we've read so far. See, kind of the, the medieval mindset ended up being that grace is what you go and you receive from the church. And so you lose your grace during the week and you've got to go back and you've got to get your grace fill up. The church gives you grace. So I've got to keep coming back. Grace was like a medicine. It's the way it was thought of and even written about. From Ephesians chapter 2, you would never get that idea. 
what you receive is from God, and that is He makes you alive. That's by grace. Grace, by the way, is nothing. There's no such thing as grace. I don't have a little vial of, you know, I I couldn't put grace in my little candy wrapper. It's not containable. It's not a thing. It's not a medicine. It's not a substance. Grace is nothing. Now, don't get me wrong. I think grace is pretty awesome. (laughs) Grace is everything. I don't mean that. I'm not a pantheist either. Anyway, (laughs) the idea is God is, is giving you something. He's giving you salvation. He's giving you new life. He's giving you life in Christ. But it doesn't come by you doing because we've already seen and it's already been established that you're spiritually dead and by nature a child of wrath. See, where, where, what this is meant to do, by the way, this is meant to do a lot of things, but it's meant to, to, to help us know what's true, to help us know what Jesus did, it's to help us know who God is and how He acts, it's to help us know who we are, it's to be worship-inducing, it's meant to be provocative, it's meant to cause you to say, grace is amazing, Christ is an amazing Savior. It's meant to give you assurance because if you were dead and now you're made alive so you didn't gain it to begin with, you can't lose what you didn't gain. Without a doubt, every time someone goes down the, 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 the road of, and lots of us have been there before because we just didn't know any better, we think we can lose our salvation and we think we can't have assurance, inevitably it's because we don't believe verses 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians. Because we think somehow we were good enough and now we're bad enough, we're going to lose it again. And the reality is we were bad enough for God to save us. Well, that doesn't sound right, but you know what I'm saying. (sighs) Talking too much, so the screen turns off. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Notice it does say in verse 5 at the end, you have been saved. It's not you will be saved. have been saved. Present reality for people who are living then and there. You have been spared the condemnation of God. You have been spared receiving what you deserve. It's a done deal. You have been saved. Okay, we should probably keep moving. Verse 6, And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice, that's, that's, that's been done. Raised. Seated. In Christ Jesus. I, I can't help myself, but just in a, in a moment there, this speaks of the past. That's, that's positionally, spiritually speaking, that's done. If you've been raised with Him, what do you have to fear? And why in the world are we saying things like, well, yeah, God might justify you by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, but He doesn't save you by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, because you might have to do enough works for that to happen. Um, I've been raised with Christ. It's done. It's over. Taken care of. I'm wondering if we should pull all the books from that author from our bookstore. I don't know. I'm into reading controversial books and bad books even. I'm not trying to do, do mind control. 
what in the world are we saying when we say, oh, I'm reformed and, and, and I'm, I'm this evangelical Christian, but you better do enough works for God to save you. I've been raised with Christ. If you're a Christian, you've been raised with Christ. To not die again. This is, this is meant to give you assurance. To look to Christ, a full atonement. Can it be? Yes. Done. Rest in Him and praise Him. Stop worrying. And by the way, if your salvation is based upon you believing in Jesus and your works, you'd better start worrying. Because I know some of you. And I know your spouses and your kids and, and mine knows me. This happened when we were dead. Raised. Ha, this is glorious. And raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, ah, see now, here we go. In the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. See, it's because of, think with me, because that's done... And Christ was, remember, Paul says, raised for our justification. It was his vindication, Paul would say. My eternal destiny is set if I believe in him. And so, and so is yours. That's what I'm getting at. Is the Reformation over? Yes or no? Yes, historical event. Are the issues still the issues? Yeah. My pastoral heart says, this is a huge deal. But you see, this is, one of the reasons this was so controversial is if you tell people they can be sure what might happen. Yeah, they might not behave. And, and that's appealing. I kind of like to get people to do what I want them to do. but it's scandalous. And it robs God of glory and it robs the cross of its power. This is stuff that's been done, taken care of, grace. And then the verses we know. See, it's so helpful to read these verses we know in light of the verses that come before. Now comes the summary. Because remember in verse 5 it says, by grace you've been saved. So that's really where the, the, the big idea comes from. Then he repeats himself in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. Now, now we can understand it because of verses 1 to 3 and following. And then now we're in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. You believe in Jesus. Faith means trust, depend upon, believe. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace alone. Now we have faith alone. It's not even... Of you, it's, it's of God. Remember, you're dead. So it all has to come from Him. He acts. This is good news, my friends. Because I want to say, like I want to say sometimes for effect, 
uh, hello, my name is Pat and I have a problem. And you say, you say, hello, Pat, right? And we should be able to go around the room and, you know, you could say, hello, my name is Craig and I have a problem, right? And we'll all say, hello, Craig. I mean, I'm not sure you're all with me or not, but as believers, we should be able to do that. And I'm being a little bit, you know, silly because I'm borrowing from another context. But you know what? Hello, my name is Pat and I have a problem. Hello, my name is Pat. I am the problem. Okay. And then you could hopefully then tell me in a Christian way, I have good news for you, Pat. And it's not do more, try harder. It's not get busy. It's to borrow from the Apostle Paul in Acts 16, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Not might be. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. How could that be? It's because He did everything. So what we have is given to us by grace and by grace alone. Now do notice, it doesn't say the word alone in our text. But it's there. It's there because of context. It's there because of verses 1, 2, and 3. It's as there as there could possibly be. Dead, alive. Where did that come from? Came from God. Came from God. This is so good. A whole, whole other sermon for a whole other time. I'm not going to go there. But, but you tell people this and they might just behave badly. By the way, now they're alive. <laughs> and they have a new nature. We were children of wrath by nature. And now we're children of God by nature. Let's just leave that up to God to have us start acting like our nature. Even the psalm that we read this morning from Psalm 119 where he uses all those synonyms, law, testimony, word, um, rules. Now all of a sudden from a believer's perspective, it's like, you know what? What God tells me to do is actually what's good for me. It's what I want to do which is coupled with the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is given because of the Gospel. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm enjoying this. I hope you are. Um, but, I, but I won't lie. I will tell you that, that I, I'm talking about this this morning because I care and I want you to have assurance. And I'm telling you about this this morning because this is, this is a battleground and it always will be. And people you might really know and respect in other areas are teaching opposite things. But the history of the church just shows us repeatedly again and again and again and again and again. Grace alone. Faith alone. Again, if faith is trust, if I'm going to trust in Jesus... The Protestants would say, and I would say it's faith and only faith, faith alone because his work is done. He was raised, not me, but having been raised, right? With him. His work is done and now I'm resting in him to, to do what he said he would do. It's all of him. There's a huge difference, by the way, between faith and 
What am I going to say next? Starts with an F. Faithfulness. Salvation is not by faithfulness unless you're talking about His. Faith means trust. Faithfulness is good or bad. Faithfulness is really good. And we're supposed to be faithful. But faithfulness is not how you're saved. Faith in the one who was faithful is how you're saved. And as a result, now you want to be faithful in honoring him and doing what he says. And the difference between the two is the difference between two religions. I did love it when it said, verse 9, not as as a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's just a great kind of litmus to look at. I don't know how you look at a litmus. I guess you have a litmus test. Just a a good way to evaluate things. Is the person I'm listening to, is the religion I'm evaluating or thinking about, by what they're telling me is required for salvation, would there be reason then for me to brag? Or to, you know, give myself a good old attaboy. Is there room for boasting? If it's that, here we, here we go again, $1,000 word, synergism, boasting. As I've been saying for years now, and some of you are tired of hearing it, but some of you are new, so if you could get to heaven and you see Jesus and you can say, we did it, you know that the person you see is not Jesus. Because what we do see in the book of Revelation is this regarding Jesus. People who really see Jesus say what? Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. We boast in Him, the Apostle Paul says. It's about Him. Salvation is of the Lord. By grace alone, through faith alone, Because of Christ alone. That's why he said it is finished. Work is done. Having been raised with him. Then verse 10 comes. For we are his workmanship. We're we're God's masterpieces. This is what God has done. Created in Christ Jesus. It's this recreation idea. Created in Christ Jesus. It's the new birth, new creation, new everything. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, for good works. For good works. How important are good works? Super important. And there they are. And God recreates you to use a synonym from our text. He saves you in Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to do nothing and just be alone. No! He saves you, recreates you for good works. It's the design to do the right thing. 
to go back to, to act like a human being and to love God and love neighbor, which is how you summarize good works because it's how you summarize God's law based on what Jesus says. So now, new nature, recreated in Christ for good works. Good works are super important. Absolutely important. They're important fruit. They're important evidences. They're important signs of life. But they don't save you. And if they save you, now we're part of a different religion. The religion that doesn't say salvation is of the Lord. I realize lots of you are thinking, what could be simpler? And if you're thinking that, awesome. But I still think you came to the right place. And don't think, oh, this is old. Because number one, it's what is and always will be attacked until Christ comes again and you can't own it good enough, if I'm speaking properly. The other thing is, this, this really is what, what is praise-inducing. I mean, I realize we think it's the guitar or the drums or falling over or having some kind of experience or whatever it might be. But this is the experience that's actually designed to, to, to bring and elicit your emotion and your praise and your thanksgiving. And I know so because it's what happens in chapter 1 from the Apostle Paul who knows he's about ready to tell us what he tells us here. And it's bless God, praise God. And he gives us that amazing, at least in the Greek New Testament, that amazing run-on sentence where he seems to be falling all over himself, praising God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in him. And he just goes on and on and on and on and on. And it's amazing. And when you come to realize you were dead and God made you alive based upon nothing you've done and all that Christ did, now all of a sudden you praise God. And now all of a sudden as well, now the good works, yeah, I want to do the right thing. And you can do the right thing. Changes everything. Changes everything. So the glory of God goes to God alone. Again, it doesn't state that in our text directly, but if you're dead and God makes you alive, who gets the credit and who is the object of boasting, if that's the right way to say it? It's God. It's God. You don't need to go there because we're done. I was just going to preach on Ephesians 2 until I needed to be done and I need to be done. Um, In my notes, I say, if there's time, do verses 11 and following. So we could do that. By the way, 11 and following, here I go. Uh, 11 and following, talk about implications of this, where there should be no differences among us, and we can all get together no matter what our background is as Christians, which is an important message. We're just not going to get to it today. But in chapter 1, by the way, you can just listen if you'd like, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. To the glory of God alone point, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of His glory. Verse 14, to the praise of His glory. This is where that idea comes from. In light of chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, in light of chapter 1, in light of it's all Christ, it's only 
to the praise of His glory, His glorious grace that these things are intended for, not for ours. And we know these things because the clarity of the Bible on these matters. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's same old, same old. And now let me apologize for saying that. Super simple. Context is going to be Passover, where there's atonement, where there's forgiveness, where you don't get what you deserve. And Jesus is the spotless lamb. And what does Jesus say when he gives the bread and he gives the cup? Do this in remembrance of me. He also says you do this again and again and again. Same old, same old. And I'm saying that for effect, not because I really mean it. Until I come again. It's meant to remind us he did everything necessary. His work is done. You have been saved by grace and only by grace. And so eat and drink, symbolic of my body that will be crucified, my blood that will be shed. And do this in remembrance of me. And it's so easy for us to think, I think maybe salvation in part is based upon our faithfulness. No, do this in remembrance of Jesus. His work is done. The Lord Jesus knew that we were, as the song says, prone to wonder. And so one thing among many things you can keep remembering when we keep celebrating the Lord's Supper is, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. It's all of Him. His work is done. It's only by grace. Do this in remembrance of Him and Give him the praise that he deserves. And in light of that, leave thinking, I want to do good works because I've been accepted. And eating and drinking reminds me that I've been accepted. So pray with me if you would, and then we'll be served and we'll eat together and drink together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that your saving purposes reach back into eternity past that you're the God who's always saved by grace and only by grace. But we are grateful for the way you providentially recovered this message even 500 years ago. And we would love to be used by you to do our part, to keep pointing people to Christ, to keep pointing ourselves to Christ and not to ourselves. That our only boast would be in you and your great salvation. Thank you for the fact that Jesus came here and he lived a sinless life. And that he went to the cross and was treated as if he was a horrific sinner. Even though he wasn't. And that he was raised again from the dead, victorious. So that our salvation could be sure because of him. May we find ourselves boasting in him. May we find ourselves praising you for this great gift. And may we never find ourselves thinking that somehow now it's time to move beyond as we do this in remembrance of him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.